This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Scorch Justice, the podcast, where you'll hear the most horrific and tragic cases ever presented before the United States court system. Covering the murders of Jessica Lynn Chambers and Ming Sheen Show. And I'm Woody Overton, your host. Before we dive into the first case, I need to tell you about my concept and where Scorch Justice came from and who I am as your host and what uniquely qualifies me, if you will, to present my ideas and theories on these cases and have you take it with some validity. I started out in corrections, spent numerous years there in the Department of Corrections, and I even spent three years with a juvenile correctional facility as a supervisor. I would go from there into Uniform Patrol for Southeastern Louisiana University, and I graduated from Louisiana State University's Basic Training Police Academy. And I would transfer from Southeastern PD to the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office where I worked in criminal patrol, and then I became a field training officer where I trained everybody else that came on the job uh, to work in criminal or uniform patrol. I then became a special response team member, which is a politically correct way of saying SWAT. Uh, um, Now they call it SRT, right? So I loved hunting bad guys, right? I thought that's all I ever wanted to do until I worked my first homicide. I was promoted to detectives in where I worked everything from theft of garbage cans to death penalty cases. During that time in detectives, I became the first state licensed and board certified polygraphist for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. And working many, many homicides and other cases also, y'all, but many, many homicides and solving several cold case homicides while as a detective for Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. I called the attention of the Louisiana State Police and they recruited me to be, at the time, what was their highest ranking detective or investigator, which was a criminal investigator too. I took the position and was assigned to headquarters in Baton Rouge and attached to the Internal Affairs Division. I would retire from there in 2013 and continue my private polygraph business. During the 
private polygraph business while doing criminal defense work, I started looking at these attorney's files. You know, before you do a polygraph, you really have to dig into the case, right? And while looking into these cases, I told one of the attorneys, I said, hey, guess what? The cops did this, this, and this wrong. This is how you need to attack the case. Well, that morphed into a very successful career as a criminal defense expert. And I would go on to become certified in all United States federal courts as an expert witness in law enforcement matters. Pretty big deal. Kind of like having a PhD behind your name. Not that many of them in the United States of America. While doing this, you know, I maintained 99% of my friendships in law enforcement. And But they would ask me, say, hey, Woody, why would you go to the dark side, if you will, right, and help on the criminal side of these cases? I'm like, because the same way I trained everybody, whether it was as, as a field training officer or I trained new detectives that were underneath me, I would always, always tell them, make sure if you're going to arrest somebody and you're trying to put them in prison, especially for the rest of their life, you need to make sure you come correct. You have everything straight from your search warrants to your probable cause to your evidence collection and chains of custody. Everything you need to make a successful case, including and especially including your courtroom testimony or your ability to testify as a believable witness, a law enforcement professional. But believe me, I put a whole lot of people in prison for the rest of their life that are going to die there. started a podcast called Real Life Real Crime. The podcast grew like wildfire, okay? During the podcast, I was fortunate enough to be able to work on a cold case out of Alexandria, Louisiana, and the victim's name was Courtney Coco. The long or short of it is, y'all, I was able to use my fans, which I call lifers, and I was able to go spend six weeks boots on the ground in Alexandria, and we took a case that they was well, not only cold, it was frozen. I think it was I think it was 15 years old at the time, and, and uh, turned everything back over to law enforcement. And the suspect is now in jail, awaiting trial for the murder of Courtney Coco. So the listeners from around the world started sending me cases that their family members were involved in or national cases they had heard of and stuff like that, they would say, hey, will you look at this case? Will you look at this case? If I could take one of these cases that all the information is already out there, right? And I could pick one and I can work it and go in and tell the good, the bad, the indifferent, the horrible, even the scorched, and especially if I could bring or shed a little light on it that no one else has thought of, that'd be pretty powerful.
Today, we're going to be beginning the series covering the murders of Jessica Lynn Chambers and ultimately Ming Sheen Show, otherwise known as Mandy. So let's get started. Y'all, when I first learned of this case, it was through my fans on Real Life Real Crime, the podcast, and they kept blowing me up for two years now. They've been blowing me up saying, what about Jessica Chambers' case? What about Jessica Chambers' case? I mean, holy smokes. When I started looking into it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the worst case of justice that I've ever seen. And I really, really wanted to cover it. Now, I'm not just going to sit here and read you notes and stuff like that. That's not how I roll. But then I went, I need to tell you what didn't happen and why it's so horrible. Good, bad, or indifferent. So holding no punches. I want to say this, though, before we begin. My heart breaks for these families of these victims and their loved ones. Jessica Lynn Chambers was from Cortland, Mississippi. Now, y'all, Cortland is in the northwest corner of Mississippi. And I researched all, every single news article. I listened to podcasts like True Crime Salad. I watched the Oxygen, oh, I listened to Oxygen podcast. I watched their uh, television show. I watched Discovery ID. I dug and I read every single newspaper article or online print thing that I could about Jessica Chambers. At some point, when I realized I was going to do this podcast, because I think the story needs to be told and it needs to be told from a different perspective than what you've heard it before. At some point, I loaded up and I drove the five and a half hours from my house to Cortland, Mississippi. I left at like three o'clock in the morning. I get there about 8.30. In Cortland, Mississippi, might as well be my hometown. It's a small town, like an hour north of Baton Rouge, has no industry, you know, no, I think now they have a couple, maybe a McDonald's drive through and a Sonic, something like that. But the just small town, rural America. And the main thing here is agriculture. You know, if you're a landowner, you grow trees or you raise cows or whatever. The I, I have a photographic memory and I wanted to go up there and see where this story took place. I want to see where Jessica lived. I wanted to see where she went to school. I wanted to see the fire department. I wanted to see her murder site. I wanted to see the suspect's house. I wanted to see the stores. I wanted to stand in these places, y'all, and try to see as if I was looking out of Jessica's eyes and try to really be able to bring it to you, the listener, from my perspective.
you know, Cortland has a population of 514 people. I get that. Where I'm from, my hometown, still doesn't even have a red light. All right? And in Cortland, it's the same way. The race makeup is about 52% black and 44% white. My hometown has 1,600 people, and the, the ratio of black to white is the exact same, 52 to 44%. Now, a lot of people will want you to think that Jessica Chambers' case is about race. It's about black against white, or white hating black. It's bullshit, y'all. It's bullshit. This case is about the murder of a white female by the suspect who is a black male. And again, I'll preface that with all suspects are innocent until proven guilty, right? But I'm just telling you the story. Now, let me describe it a little bit more because a lot of people are going to get pissed off when they hear this, but this is just the way it is. But you have generations of people who were raised, taught by their parents, they're like, hey, you know what? You stay with the white folks and the black folks stay with the black folks and it's just the way it was. I'm trying to tell a story. I'm trying to set it up for you that even though this exists, this divide exists and times are changing and uh, um, and I'll explain that to you as it goes on. I just want you to know this murder, Jessica Lynn Chambers was not murdered because she was white. The suspect did not go to jail because he was black. He went to jail because of the evidence that they had against him. But then they fucked it all up. But let's get started. I, I drive up to Cortland and I get out and I'm telling y'all, it is actually a little bit smaller than my town. And there, it really, there is no town. I mean, shit, you drive down the one street and there's the Cortland Fire Department, right? The gas station, the only one that I saw, uh, which is the last place that Jessica Chambers was seen alive on videotape, is shit, it's, it's diagonally across the street from the suspect's house, and we'll get into that later on. But you walk into the store, I walked into it that morning. It's not a country store. Now, back in the day, they may have been consider a country store because you can get anything there, right? Why? Because there ain't shit else in Cortland. But you can go in and get anything from a fake purse to some rolling papers to hot dogs on a stick or beer or cake ice. <laughs> I mean, it just got everything and shit you can barely move in the store. And I'm in there and, and, and certainly in Cortland, in a town that small, everybody knows everybody and they think they know everybody's business, right? But Jessica Chambers lived and was murdered in this town or right there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns, stress, changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. And it's important to show up for yourself through all of the struggles that life can bring. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Y'all, I use it. I'm telling you, I've got so much going on. It just helps me to be able to talk to a professional and they can give me a different insight and tell me how to better take care of myself. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online and the services available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room with additional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp is a great way to show up for yourself and invest in your well-being because, well, you deserve some inner peace. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit BetterHelp.com, that's BetterHelp, and join the over. 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for Scorch Justice listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash S-C-O-R-C-H-E-D That's 10% 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com, S-C-O-R-C-H-E-D. That's betterhelp.com slash scorched. So Jessica Lynn Chambers was born to Lisa Lynn Chambers and Ben Allen Chambers, all right? Her mama, Lisa, was born on September the 4th of 1969. She worked as a, as a nurse, y'all, as a licensed practical nurse. And Ben and her married, and it wasn't long afterwards, I, I think Jessica was like three maybe, when her parents separated. Okay, and Jessica Chambers was born on February 2nd of 1995. She had big blue eyes and blonde hair, and everybody said she was sweet and loving, and they liked her, and she got along well with everyone. She still had a pretty normal childhood. I think her dad moved like right down the street, was involved in her life, and uh, she had seven siblings. I'm going to list them for you. Ben Allen Chambers, Ashley Nicole Chambers Sipes, Christopher Lee Hudson, Amanda Hudson Prince, Brandon McClinic, Steve McClinic, Annabelle Grace Chambers. 
They so she has all these siblings, which are all half siblings or, or half brothers and sisters or step or whatever you want to call it. But it, she had it's a big family, right? And they said she loved to do whatever her brothers and sisters were doing. Talk about Jessica, and grew up right there. And you know what? There's nothing quite like growing up in the small town. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But everybody loved her. She played softball, very athletic. She was a cheerleader, right? Small town cheerleader to to make it in a town of that many people. Well, shit, she must have been popular. But they said she could walk into a room and light it up with her smile. And she, you know, was in high school, doing well and everything, but she was really close with her brother, Alan. When Alan was 28, he died in a horrific car crash on May the 7th of 2012, and Jessica was only 17. And he was by far her closest sibling, and she suffered horribly from the loss. And I think this is a switch that flipped her from being the cheerleader and, and all this stuff to uh, she was grieving. And that's, that's around the time when she started smoking marijuana, maybe hanging out with the wrong crowd. She doesn't even finish high school, y'all. She dropped out halfway through her senior year. Maybe a term for the worse. I mean, this is, she was very distraught over her brother's death, and, and, and this was the one that she was the closest to by far. So Jessica, at this point in time in her life, she's in a little turmoil, you know, smoking a little weed, and uh, gets her diploma. But like all other teenagers, or almost all teenagers, she can't decide on what she wants to do. She thinks she wants to be a teacher. Then she thinks, well, maybe I want to be a nurse like my mama, right? Or maybe I even want to be an author. But she just really couldn't decide. Meanwhile, she got a job at Goodies in the town of Batesville, Mississippi. You know, y'all, Goodies is like a clothing store. And everybody she worked with loved her. Said she was an absolute joy, you know, laughing, smiling, and carrying on all the time. She got that goodies discount and she would spend most of her paycheck on her clothes, right? But she starts dating a guy named Brian Rudd who had gang affiliations and it was a bad relationship, y'all. Volatile, like so many young adults' relationships can be as you're figuring out with the fighting and all that. Her father did not approve of Jessica's boyfriends. He goes on tape statements saying... I don't like my daughters dating black men. Well, fuck, that's as racist as you can get, right? I mean, then he follows it up with, hey, but I'm not racist. You know, I got a lot of great black friends that, that I trust my life with. He said, I just was raised this way, and I don't believe that white girls should date black guys. Well, fuck, man. You, you know, if you're not from the South or Southern Mississippi or whatever, you're really going to get fucked on that statement. And it would come back to bite him. Moving back up, he got arrested, I think in like 2007, for manufacturing a methamphetamine, possession of methamphetamine, and unauthorized use of a motor vehicle. He gets put in jail at Panola County Sheriff's Office. And guess what happens when he gets off the dope? Becomes a model inmate. In this case, Ben was a mechanic. 
he worked on all the sheriff's office and the county vehicles and shit, he was good at it, right? And it was free labor. So why would a Panola County judge send him off to wherever so somebody else can use him up when he could be sentenced to his DOC time or his jail time there and they can use his services because by all accounts, he was a fine mechanic. I think he's is still a mechanic to this day. So he was such a good mechanic that when he got released, the sheriff's office hired him to stay on and work on their vehicles, all right? But he made the statement, he just absolutely did not believe in his daughter dating a black man. Now, let's take it back. Ben Chambers was raised there. The, he's from there, generational, and it goes back to what I was telling y'all earlier about the racial divides. The, the, I gave you the racial makeup of Cortland, right? Jessica didn't care, okay? Now, after she breaks up with um, Brian Rudd and he moves away, she started dating a guy named Travis Sanford, and he was nine years older than Jessica, and it was a shit show of a relationship. I mean, domestic violence, and it's pretty, I'm not making this up. Jessica was actually arrested on June the 6th of 2014 for simple assault on Travis Sanford. So that means she was in a physical altercation, put hands on this dude, and she went to jail for it, all right? In Louisiana, in the state of Louisiana, the assault is vice versa because we're under the Napoleonic Code of Law. Assault is the threat if you make a threat towards somebody, and a battery is if you actually do the unwanted touching. Mississippi, it's different. Battery is the threat, and assault is unwanted touching. So she shit, she went to jail for it. But she gets out that same summer. She went for over a month. She checked herself into Leah's house, which is a Christian rehab center for women, all right? Now, she's trying to get her shit together and still reeling from her brother's death. Now she's been in two shitty relationships. She went to jail for one of them. You know, she's still smoking weed. So she's like, I'm going to get my shit together. She goes to Leah's house, spends over a month there, and then ultimately gets out and tries to ingrain herself back into Cortland, Mississippi. The problem with that is, remember what I told you about small towns, everybody knows everybody's business. And when she gets out, some of these other people get arrested and they, they're thinking that Jessica is ratting on them, all right, to maybe get out of her assault charge or whatever. That she was actually telling her daddy stuff, and he would go tell the detectives. Remember, now he works for the sheriff's office. That um, she would tell her dad stuff, and he would tell the detectives, and that's why they got arrested. Well, that's bullshit, and then it's just absolutely false, not true. But you get arrested, you don't want to believe that you got arrested just because you're being a dumb fuck. Yeah, so you're gonna blame it on somebody. But they start threatening her. But in November 29th that year. She meets Quentin Tellis, right? And they became close real quick. Quentin Tellis, black male, lived diagonally across the highway from the M&M Quick Mart. She sold him wheat. 
It's a proven fact. When they, they have an eyewitness that says saw it. And they start hanging out on the, like December the 2nd. He takes her to get medicine. On December the 3rd, in one of a series of text messages, he asks her for sex. And she just kind of blows it off, laughs about it, right? But let's go to December 6th. On December the 6th, in the morning, Jessica told her mama, Hey, mommy, I'm going to go clean my car, uh, whatever else. She wasn't telling the truth. What she did do, though, was leave her residence and go pick up her friend, Lakeisha, Lakeisha being a black female. And then they went and picked up Quentin Tellis, and they rode around and smoked weed. Now, the kids down there or up there, I should say, they call if you ride around the town, you smoke a blunt, you ain't got shit else to do, right? You're listening to music. There's nothing else to do. But they call it busting the loop. She goes, picks up Lakeisha. She's like, hey, let's go bust a loop. Well, let's go pick up Quentin. And they did it. They got high. They rode around. And then her and Lakeisha drop off Quentin back at his house. And then she takes Lakeisha and drops her off at home. And then she goes home and takes a nap. About 425, it's proven by records, y'all. She gets a, a call or a text. And then she gets up and she tells her mom, hey, you know, look, I'm going to go to the store, the M&M Mart that I told you all about. And she leaves. At 6.48 p.m., Jessica called her mom and said that she'd be home in a little bit and bye and I love you. Lisa, the mom, says when, she, when Jessica's telling her that, she thinks something's a little funny, something's a little bit off, because she didn't recognize it at the time, but when Jessica's telling her that, everything's quiet in the background. There's no music playing. There's no kids talking or teenagers talking back and forth to each other. And later on, she just thought that was really odd, because Jessica always, even when she would call, you know, call her all the time, music's playing, or friends are laughing in the car, or whatever, she, but she said it was dead silent and that was the last time she ever spoke to Jessica on that day the high temperature on December 6th, the high temperature was only 64 degrees. That's still a little warm for December, right? But the low was 43. So that time of year, it starts to get dark around 5.30, too dark to see. I mean, that's when you have to get off the hunting stand if you're a hunter, right? So remember now, it's 6.48 p.m. when she calls her mom. So this is an hour plus after dark. As night falls, the temperature falls. So darkness falls on Cortland and the surrounding areas. And at some point on Heron Road, that's H-E-R-R-O-N Road. Now, I'll describe this for you all because I went there and I saw it. Heron Road, it's this little stretch of blacktop that runs up into the hills. It's real curvy 
I mean, but it's right there. I mean, it's right on the edge of town when you take that left on that road. It's real curvy. Uh, it's nothing but trees on, on both sides. I think it was like one or two houses in the beginning, but then you get into the, these turns and it's going uphill and it's just trees. And there was, actually there was a tree farm on both sides of the road, but there were two men that were coming down that road headed back towards Cortland and they see a car on fire by the Rousey Tree Farm, all right? Now, they, they don't see anybody. They just see the car on fire and the car is kind of jammed up against this fence. If you're coming up here on road, you come out of this turn, you make it to the right and the car is jammed up. It's jammed up against this metal gate, okay? The metal gate is not surrounded by barbed wire. It's a tree farm. They're not trying to protect. It's a, it's got hills on both sides of the metal gate, right? That's what happened. It looked like the car had ran off the road and hit this embankment just to the left of the metal gate. If you're facing the metal gate, then it was on fire. Well, you know, there's no need for barbed wire fences there. You know why? Because you got hillsides and it's a fucking tree farm, right? I mean, it's not like you're holding cattle and stuff. So they see the car on fire. They call it in. They don't see anybody. They call it in. Now, the Cortland Volunteer Fire Department is 0.6 miles away from this location. I'm going to tell you a little story about volunteer firemen. Now, I was raised in the town. It was all, and to this day, it's all volunteer firemen. But when I worked with the sheriff's office, the most of the parish, like 95% of the parish, was serviced by volunteer firefighters or first responders. Best people in the world. They volunteer their time. They go through training. They do all this stuff. But let me tell you something. They love when those calls come in. Not the fact that something's on fire or somebody might be hurt, but they love to respond and try to help people. And I'll give you an example. It was an Easter Sunday way back when, and I get a call of a gunshot uh, of 103G, a disturbance with a gun. And I don't have any more information other than somebody heard an elderly man shoot his gun and they believe he might have hurt himself or someone else. I was right on top of it, middle of the country. And I pull up and I see him, he's on, right on the bayou, and he was sitting at a wooden table and he had a shotgun and he put the shotgun to his chest and he pulled it, the trigger with his toe. When he did so, the force of the shotgun blew him out of the chair and it also blew a hole in his chest. I shit you not. When I looked down on him, I could see, I could have put my whole head through the hole in his chest. I mean, totally blew out his innards, his heart, everything, ribs. I mean, I could see the dirt, okay? No way this cat's alive at all, period. No way in hell. And it turned out that he was going on trial the next day for molesting one of his grandkids. But that's neither here nor there. So I call it in. Guess who gets there almost as quick as me? one of the volunteer firemen and they run up and they look at the guy and they grab his arm and say, I think I got a pulse. And so they start doing CPR on him and the volunteer firemen were always there before all the cops could get there. Detectives could get there and look, love them. They, they worked wrecks with us. They would direct traffic. They would have helped us out so much. 
best people in the world. But you damn well better believe they're waiting on that pager to go off. So these guys call it in. The fire department is 0.6 miles away. It's right down that that narrow blacktop road. And y'all, blacktop, it didn't even have a divider line on it when I was up there. The There's no line dividing the road. That's how country and rural it is. The call comes in at 8.12 p.m. At 8.25 p.m., Eddie Edison was the first to arrive on scene. And what does he see? He sees the car on fire, jammed up against that gate. Y'all, the, the flames are spread. And I can tell you this because I saw the trees when I was there. They, to this day, they were still have burn marks on them uh, on the backside of the trees, and it went for probably 30, 40, 50 yards. I'm talking about 20 or 30 trees past the gate, right, where the fire obviously had spread. So he's focusing on that. And then he turns around when he hears something. And he sees this figure walking towards him with outstretched arms saying, help me, help me, help me. The figure was burnt almost beyond recognition. The once long pretty blonde hair it's now charred, sticking out in every direction, and smoking. The body is burnt over 94% black, and she's nude, naked, except for one little spot of her panties hadn't burned up and was stuck to her skin. On that dark road, you turn around, you see this figure coming at you. It's literally a walking dead person. Y'all, I've seen it. People burnt like this. The skin crackles. It's like overcooking a piece of meat on the barbecue pit. And I know that's horrible to hear. But now she comes out of the woods. Comes out of the woods. And he's there. And she's on fire. Help me. Help me. Help me. Include this episode of Scorched Justice, the murders of Jessica Chambers and Mean Sheen Show. And until next time, I'm your host, Woody Overton.
Scorch Justice is a production of Cloud 10 Media and Real Life Real Crime Productions. The show is executive produced by Cindy and Woody Overton and Sim Sarn for Cloud 10 Media. Matt Provisano is our supervising sound editor. The music is by Josh Cook. Artwork by Brian Stephanie. Be sure to download, subscribe, and like Scorch Justice anywhere you can download a podcast. You can follow me, Woody Overton, on Instagram at Overton Woody and at Real Life Real Crime to hear what I've got coming next. Thank you. truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.